Queer Rights Sessions, QWS Podcast, in partnership with Blarney Books and Art in Port Ferry. I'm your host, Rob, aka RWR McDonald, and this is a Words and Nerds spin-off series. Thanks, Danny! I'm coming to you from the land of the Wurundjeri people, and I'd like to pay my respects to their elders past, present, and emerging. Each month, QWS Podcast will bring you reviews, shout-outs of LGBTIQA plus writers, and feature an interview with a queer writer from our rainbow communities. And now on with the show. Hello, my name is Jonathan Butler. My pronouns are he, him, and I'm the guest host for this Queer Rights session. I am the author of the 2022 nonfiction book, The Boy in the Dress, and you can hear my QWS interview with Rob in Season 1, Episode 7. Today, I'm very excited to be chatting with Sydney Koo. Welcome, Sydney. Hi, nice to meet you. Sydney Koo, pronouns they, them, is a non-binary and aromantic asexual writer born on Darul country, southwestern Sydney, to Malaysian Chinese parents. They have a Bachelor of Arts in Psychology and a Master's in Creative Writing. Having worked at an eclectic mix of places, including a suicide prevention centre, tattoo parlour, publishing house and medical clinic, Sydney has found working in made-up worlds to be the most fulfilling. Sydney's debut, The Spider and Her Demons, is published by Penguin and comes out on the 15th of August this year, so not long now. There is so much I want to get into about this book, but before we do, we always start our interviews with a very broad question, and that is, how has your work influenced your identity? Um, I, I get asked that question a lot. Uh, it's kind of difficult for me to say because I don't think I can remove my identity from anything. So my identity informs how I live my life and how I do things. So my writing is one of those things. It's impossible to remove my identity because that's how I see the world. With this book specifically, I was going through a lot and I was trying to sort through, I suppose, my own demons. And I gave those demons to Z and I was hoping that by sending her on her little journey, I'd be able to make peace with my own demons if I could help her figure out hers. Yeah, so interesting. Um, so let's let's get into the actual book itself. To set the scene, I'll read the blurb. From the recipient of the Penguin Random House Australia's Write It Fellowship, Sydney Koo comes an extraordinary world of demons and witches where the ones you love can hurt you the most and hiding your true self can get you killed. Moving and funny by turns, The Spider and Her Demons is about what it takes to make peace with your demons, literal or otherwise. An urban fantasy spin on growing up as a second-generation immigrant struggling under the overwhelming pressure to make others proud while feeling trapped inside your own body. Firstly, congratulations on writing such a lively and original book. Uh, It's really in equal parts. It's really fun, but it's also really heartbreaking in other places as well. I'm really looking forward to diving into some of those more emotional and psychological themes um, that you explored. While your novel is obviously a fantasy novel, it very much exists in the real world. But before we do, I really want to start with the magic. So fantasy storytelling has such a rich and diverse history across the world with many cultures having their own unique myths and magical creatures. Did you draw on any existing mythology for this book? Uh, I should probably give you some context to how I came up with the idea for the book Please do. before we go into that. Yeah, yeah. Um, in 2016, Marvel and Sony were looking for the next Spider-Man 
And this was before they picked Tom Holland. And I became obsessed with this idea of a Chinese-American Peter Parker, uh, who lived in New York City in Chinatown with his aunt May, spelled M-E-I. And I started to write a fan fiction on that, but it kept swerving into, I suppose, original content that was too far from canon to really work as a fan fiction. And this book was born from that. So I don't, I did some research on any spider creatures that had Chinese backgrounds, but there wasn't really anything that fit what I was looking for. There, there are spider creatures in Chinese mythology and Japanese mythology, but there wasn't anything that fit what I wanted Z to look like. So I ended up having to come up with something original, but I did reference the images I saw in the reference book that Z discovers in the book. Amazing. And there's also witches and a hierarchy, hierarchy or not hierarchy, but like different types of witches with different sorts of powers. Is that is that totally original or is that also drawing on some myth or fantasy that exists? I think the whole the whole concept of witches being restricted to one element is quite common amongst all media, you know, movies, films and books. So I don't think that was original in that sense. But I don't like, I don't like in films when you categorize someone based on like a very restrictive label. So I wanted to kind of play with that with my book. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. And I definitely comes through with the, yeah, the different types and the different sort of relationships to each other um, really enriched the book, I thought. You mentioned Spider-Man and I was actually going to ask about that because um, <laughs> there definitely were some moments where I sort of noticed an echo perhaps of some other yeah. media out there. And yeah, even even into the Spider-Verse, that um, sort of urban sort of setting and that sort of, you know, vibe at times I thought had that. I even noticed in, uh, maybe a little bit of Twilight Buffy, even turning red was some of those. Um, am I am I on the right track here, or um, were a, they... a lot of a lot of those things didn't exist when I started writing this book, and I wish they did because I feel like it would have made it easier for me to figure out the plot and story. I didn't really have much to reference because back in two thousand sixteen, there wasn't any, there wasn't much Asian representation in media. So I really wish I'd had something like turning red as kind of a sounding board to work off. But my editor was asking me when we were going through marketing and publicity, you know, publishing, they really like, oh, it's like Beauty and the Beast on a pirate ship. That's uh, a curse of salt. So things like that, where you have two comparative texts to present to marketing is really helpful. And we were trying to brainstorm that this was similar to. And the closest thing that my editor could come up with was turning red meets venom. Yep. I see it. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Oh, it's so interesting. So um, yeah, it's, it's, well, I guess it's coming out at a perfect time. Like it's very, you know, um, you know, part of the zeitgeist and people are very hungry for these types of stories. So, but yeah, I acknowledge that it must be challenging not having that, that precedent. So 2016, you started writing this. So you've been writing yes. it for a while. Yeah. Six years total, I think. Wow, that's um, that's amazing. I suppose you know it's it's hard talking about your book when it comes out because it can feel a bit like ancient history. Or was it? Were you very much working on it that whole time since twenty sixteen? <laughs> yeah, yeah. There were there were so many edits. So when I first started my masters of creative writing at UTS, I had two subjects called writing project one and writing project two, where we had to start a book, a novel length piece, and every other class so far at that point had been a short story that was maximum 5,000 words. So I didn't really have any ideas and I figured, oh, well, I had this fan fiction idea that didn't really work as fanfic. So why don't we try making it into an original story? And I started writing that in 2017 and finished in 2018, but I only had about 
maybe 10,000 words at that point. And I put it in a drawer and I didn't really do anything. I didn't plan to do anything with it. I kind of gave up on it. And then in 2019, a friend sent me the link to the Penguin Write It Fellowship. And I didn't have anything for that except the spider and Hadim. Uh, so I submitted the first 5,000 words of that. And I didn't expect it to go anywhere, but I got shortlisted. And when I got shortlisted, they asked me for the rest of the manuscript, which I did not have. And I just given notice at my job, uh, I had one week left to work there. So I finished out that week and then I had two weeks total to just put together whatever I could for the rest of the manuscript. It was a disaster. It was, Michelle, my editor will deny this, but I, it was complete garbage and I didn't expect to get the fellowship. But then I did and I, I was shocked obviously. And I didn't really know where to start in terms of fixing it because the Mich uh, Michelle's notes to me was so in-depth and there was so many notes on what to fix and I knew it was a mess so there was a lot to fix but I think I became so overwhelmed with the pressure of having told people that I got this fellowship people then thought oh you've got a book coming out no matter how many times I told them this doesn't guarantee publication uh so people were expecting a book from me and there were so many things from the original manuscript to fix that I kind of self-sabotaged I gave up so for the entire year of the fellowship I did not do any work on the book. And then COVID hit and we were in lockdown and I thought, okay, well, I guess now that I've failed, now that I've failed, I can try again because there's no pressure there anymore. So in the second lockdown, I started writing again and it took me about, I think about eight months to write again from scratch. I sent that through to Michelle with no expectations. I didn't even know whether she worked there anymore. And she got back to me a couple of weeks later saying that she'll take a look and let me know what she thought. And then Penguin sent me a letter of offer then we started edits, but there were still so many edits to go through. I was still doing revisions up until January this year. So it really has been like a six month process from start to finish, a six year process from start to finish. Sorry. Yeah. Wow. Oh my gosh. What an interesting story. And yeah, I can, um, yeah, obviously the uh, lockdowns weren't great for a lot of people out there, but I know a lot of fellow writers found it, you know, it was good to kind of get rid of all those distractions and to really yeah. sit down and focus on it. I did want to ask you about the school elements. I think what I really loved about the book, particularly at the start, um, is how you really made me feel like I was back in grade 10. Um, you know, when, you know, school and your family were your entire universe and, you know, those breathless gossip sessions with friends. Yeah. It's, it's also very grounded in the streets and suburbs of Sydney and all its multicultural cuisine. How important was it to you that Z's world felt real? I think because growing up, I didn't have many books set in Australia. Well, YA books that were set in Australia that I could relate to. It was important to me to have something that was very familiar and real to me. And growing up, I didn't have any Asian Australian main characters. So I wanted Z to be very relatable to people like me who never got to see themselves in media. Does that answer your question? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I guess with the, and how how did you capture that feeling of grade 10? Even there's, you know, there's a um, part of the story where Z's stressed about, you know, like subject selection and, you know, the on the text, it's just about the most, you know, objectively mundane detail, but it's, you know, <laughs> the biggest gossip with friends. Like how did you capture that? Was it, did you have to mine your diaries or listen to some music or you've just done it really well? I think... It was a point of contention between me and my parents as well when I was growing up. So I based a lot of that stuff on my own teenage years. 
where, you know, you have conflict with your parents and you're trying to figure out how to simultaneously do what you enjoy, but make sure that you're making them proud. So subject selection was a big thing because, you know, Asian parents, they want you to get a job that makes money and art and creative things are things that are reserved for hobbies and not so much things that contribute to getting into a good university or getting a good job. Something with stability is more important. Yeah. And also um, food as well. Food's a big part. Um, and yeah, it made me very hungry and thirsty. <laughs> Some of these descriptions <laughs> and, the, and the streets where they got the food from. Um, and yeah, I, I really loved how vivid it was. Um, I, I assume that is, are these the streets that you grew up in and still live in? Is that the case? So I grew up about 20 minutes from Cabramatta. And you'll notice that Z doesn't feel very... She, while she really likes Cabramatta, she doesn't quite feel at home there. And it was like that for me. A lot of the Asian friends that I had lived in Cabramatta, so they felt at home there, but I never got that opportunity because we lived about 20 minutes away. So I kind of wanted that feeling to go through Z. I, get, I don't think Z really feels at home anywhere. That's right. kind of the, that's what I wanted to express in the book, that even in Chinatown, she doesn't quite feel safe. Even in Cabramatta, even at school, there's no point in time where she feels at home and like she belongs. And that leads in well to my next question. So Z is a spider demon, but the book is called The Spider and Her Demons. She grapples with her relationship with her body, class, mental health, and a really heartrending relationship with her auntie. Do you, I'd, I'd be really curious to hear from you, what do you think the power of using something like fantasy to explore these very real and personal themes? I guess I feel more comfortable hiding behind the page. Even, even if I were to write a memoir, that would feel incredibly close, even though you can hide behind your words. But with fantasy, there's that extra layer to the wall that protects me from being exposed. And I feel more comfortable with fantasy and horror because I can explore, I guess, the dark and grittiness of how horrible life can be through that. It kind of, it goes beyond metaphor, but I suppose, you know, those feelings um, associated with hiding aspects of yourself. Yeah, I think anytime you write, as a writer, every time you write something, you would know this, that you, you're making yourself vulnerable to the world. To You can't control how other people are going to perceive and receive your work. But if you hide behind fantasy, you can excuse any misconceptions as, well, that was just a metaphor. I was interested to read that you have worked, well, you've you studied psychology, um, you've worked at a suicide prevention centre. I really commend you on your um, treatment of mental health. I thought that there was a really great sense of empathy. Even, you know, there's references to sort of breathing um, in and out and some really great conversations which sort of tackle this. Did you draw on your life experience for those sections as well? Um, without giving too much away, there are several characters in the book who have their own demons to deal with. And those demons were based on demons that I have. And I wanted I wanted to give them the respect that they deserve. Mm. And you definitely have. Absolutely. I want to ask you now more of a practical writing question. Sure. Uh, it's a really pacey book. Um, there's wonderful characters. And I really liked how you seamlessly weave in the different types of communication and that type of thing. It's also a very epic tale. There's there's lots of different tones that you kind of have to balance. So I'd love to know, how how did you approach plotting this book? <laughs> I really wish that I could give people tips on that. But frankly, the credit is all to Michelle Madden, who is my editor. 
Uh, it was a mess. I have no idea how structure works in a novel. I know how to structure with short stories, but it's very different because in short stories, it's very flexible in terms of structure. You can end the story at any point with no payoff, leaving people wondering what's going on. But with a novel, because it's such a long investment, it takes hours to read, it's very disappointing and unsatisfying for readers if you don't have a good payoff. So I knew that it needed to have some sort of arc and Z had to have some sort of satisfying, I guess, yeah, a, a satisfying ending uh, to the story, but I didn't know how to go about that. And Michelle came in to my second manuscript and she did what she calls a jigsaw edit where she took out all the scenes that she thought worked, put them in the places that they should be, and then just wrote dot points from my notes on what she wanted me to write to fill in those gaps. So all credit to structure goes to Michelle. We love our editors, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> they do, yeah, they do an amazing job. But still, look, I think, you know, absolutely the within the scenes as well, like, you know, there's that the tone of the the friends at school versus, you know, maybe an epic sort of fantasy battle. Um, you know, they're two very different types of scenes. And I think you did a really good job of making them all fit in a sort of one cohesive story. So congratulations to you and your editor as well. <laughs> Thank you. Do you have a hope for, you know, the spider and her demons when it's out in the world? I've been trying to avoid thinking about how it's going to be received. I don't think my brain can really compute what that's going to be like. I would like for people who haven't been able to see themselves in the YA space to be able to take something away from that. I've had some feedback from two other authors, Grace Chan and Lian Yong, who are also from Malaysian Australian backgrounds, Malaysian Chinese Australian backgrounds. And they've told me that the Romanized Cantonese was really meaningful to them. And I actually didn't, I, I didn't really intend for it to be meaningful to anybody but myself. Like I wrote that for me because when I was a kid, I really wished I'd seen evidence of that. And it's a point of contention for Z that she never feels quite Chinese enough because she doesn't speak Mandarin, she doesn't speak proper Cantonese, she can't read Chinese. So I wrote that to kind of make Z feel better and my younger self feel better. But to hear from Leanne and Grace that they felt at home reading the Romanized Cantonese was really meaningful to me. So I would love to hear responses like that. But I, I don't think I'll be reading any reviews. I don't think I'll be checking my notifications for a while. Just, you know, it, it's hard to it's hard to send your baby out into the world not knowing whether they'll be received well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, stay off Goodreads for a little while. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, I, I'm very confident that, that people are going to absolutely love this book. A question that we ask all our guests is a writing question. And I'd love to know from you, do you have any advice or top tips for aspiring writers, storytellers out there? I think the main thing with novel writing is you just have to finish. It doesn't have to be good. It can be, they, they, we do something called a draft zero, which is when you try and get the story out as fast as humanly possible, even if it's complete nonsense, complete garbage. Because after you've finished, then you figure out what you want your story to be about, and then you can go back and fix it. But I think the trouble a lot of writers have when they haven't written a book before is that it's difficult to finish. So just finish it basically is my advice. That's all. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. but it's very, very sound advice. We also like to give our guests the opportunity to have, um, to give a shout out to their work and to others. Um, and we, and Rob can put this um, on the show notes so people can check it out later if they want. So firstly, how can listeners connect with you on socials, book events, that sort of thing? 
Uh, I have a website, which is just my name, sydneycoo.com. I'm on Twitter as sydneycoo and Instagram as sydneycoo. And my Facebook is, I think, slash sydneycoowriter. Yeah. Amazing. And would you like to shout out any um, LGBTIQA plus artists, books, shows, organizations, social media accounts, anything like that? I really like Minus 18. They are an organization that help queer youth. So anybody under 18, Minus 18. Um, I really like Trans Hub. They've, they provide really great resources. And I know that I've used them many times myself. Uh, Lifeline, which I worked at for a couple of years, is really great for if you're struggling to hold it, hold it together, basically, if you need someone to speak to. They're really great. Lifeline Australia, 1311. One four. I'd really like to shout out Alison Evans, who's a non-binary writer in Nam, Melbourne. Uh, they've been so helpful with helping me navigate the YA space as a non-binary person. And I think it would have been a lot scarier if I didn't have someone to ask advice for. Just knowing Alison exists makes navigating the space a lot easier. I would also like to thank, I guess, the Asian Australian writers who came before me because back when I was growing up, there were no stories by Asian Australians, about Asian Australians. And I do think that authors such as Alice Pung and Wei Chim, I guess, broke down that barrier and helped pave the way for the rest of us to have a fighting chance at getting our voices heard. Yeah, amazing. And I guess we haven't talked about it as much, but I like in the book how you allow complex relationships to exist um you know it's not I guess you know Z doesn't sort of talk so much about sort of queer identities in you know very concrete identity terms that we sort of talk about but certainly there's aspects of that with the character how did you find writing the relationships in the in the book I think my I I get a lot of people saying that they really liked the relationship between um, me and Z which is surprising to me because I found well, I found that to be the easiest relationship to find. I have, I guess, a bit of resentment to that sort of parental figure. So it was it was interesting for me to try and get Z to make peace with Aunt May when I hadn't quite done so myself yet. So I found that quite a healing process by the time I got to the end. With, I think, writing Z and Nadira's relationship was probably my favourite, especially their fight and how it goes for them in the end. That was That was the most meaningful to me out of all the relationships because it was very similar to the relationships I had with my friends before I'd figured out my own identity. It takes, I think it takes a certain kind of friend to understand that if you're not ready to tell them things, that's okay. You know, it's, it's, I guess when you're, you're not ready to come out because you haven't figured it out yourself, there is a certain sense of, I thought we were friends. Why can't you tell me this one thing? If we really were friends, you would trust me with that. And it's hard to explain to someone, well, I can't tell you yet because I'm not sure yet. And I don't feel safe yet telling anybody. And it's not just you. So that was a very, yeah, I still, I, I'm getting upset now thinking about it. Just, I really mm. love Z and Nadira's relationship. That's, yeah. It was really important to me to write that. Yeah. Yeah. That, it's a really beautiful relationship and um, really enjoyed getting to know both of those characters and and their relationship and that that really powerful conversations, um, which I'm sure resonate with lots of people out there. The closing question is, what is your hope for the LGBTIQA plus communities? This is going to sound so specific, but I keep getting asked the question of why was diversity and inclusion important in your book? And I want us to get to a point where we're not asked that question anymore because it's so normalized that at least half the books that we read 
will have representation from the queer community. And it's no longer this interesting, marketable fact. I want us to be so close to the default that we're not othered anymore. Does that, does that, does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. (laughs) Yeah. And I think your book is such a good case for, it is incredibly inclusive, but it's just a great story. You know, like you've just captured a really interesting story that just happens to have um, all these different aspects and these different aspects just really enrich it. So yeah, you've done a phenomenal job. Thank you so much for coming on to the show and all the best with the release and all the press and all the events that you're going to be doing the next um, couple of months. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I've been actually really excited about being on here ever since I heard your interview with Jordan Collins. Oh, great. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks <laughs> for really coming in. It. Yeah. Thank all you. the best. Thanks, Sydney. Bye. That was Sydney Koo talking about their debut YA fantasy spider and published by Penguin and will be available from the of August. If you'd like to check out that interview that's even towards the end there with Jordan Collins, that is season two five. I'm Jonathan Butler. Thank you for listening. And that's it for today. Please check out our show notes on Words and Nerds, Blarney Books and Art and rwrmcdonald.com for links, reviews and the interview transcript. Until next time, this is QWS Podcast.